2: Hello, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I'm here with Heather Augustine, the author of Rude Girls, Women in Two-Tone and One Step Beyond. Heather, thanks for being here with me today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Could you start us off by um, talking a
2: little bit about how this book came to be and why you wanted to put this book together and look at this particular group of women musicians and performers?
1: sure um so i guess uh, one of the things that that pushed me to do this recently and then i will kind of go back to the beginning of the story but um is that i i just kind of had this realization uh, it just it was kind of like this obvious thing that had been there all along but it only just dawned on me that when i was looking at the makeup of the bands that i loved and listened to that there weren't any women and, and that sounds kind of like, well, how could you not notice that? But it was something that I think was because it was just, you know, there were so many men in bands and I got so used to seeing that, that it just, I became desensitized to it. But then all of a sudden I went, whoa, wait a minute. And that's when I realized that um, I I needed to kind of bring attention to the women that were able to operate in this space and by space i mean um two-tone which was ska in the what we call like the ska revival in the uk in about 1979 to about 19 through the 1980s um and i thought you know what i really need to bring attention to these women because i know about the men i see them they're there um, I have read about them many times, but I would kind of like to know about, you know, were there any women involved? Um, and if so, I want people to know about them. And so when I started researching this, I thought, OK, maybe I'll have a dozen or a half dozen or something because they were pretty obscure. Women were pretty obscure in, in ska bands of this era. And then as I kind of started to go along, I realized okay, there are more women than I realized. They are relegated to certain roles by the culture. Um, I don't think it was overt by any of the men in the bands. They just kind of got their friends together and, you know, there were a bunch of guys and um, some of it was very overt. Um, But I, I realized that, um, that we needed to hear these stories. So, now, uh, let me go back to kind of the beginning of how I got involved in this whole area of history, of music history. So I was a, um, a, as a teenager, I was pretty much into anything that came out of the UK. I was really into what we called progressive music, now now called alternative, I guess, but that has a very different meaning, post-grunge era um, but pre grunge era, um, you know, alternative or progressive meant, you know, like New Wave and like echoing the bunny man and and you know the the Smiths and New Order and Depeche Mode and things like that. I was super into that. And there was this show that I used to listen to on MTV in the 80s called 120 Minutes, and I loved it and would listen to pretty much anything on there, make a make a list and then head down to Hagwish Records in Northwest Indiana and buy all the cassettes that my small allowance would afford me. Um, On 120 Minutes, um, they sometimes played ska and they would play like, maybe I would hear like Madness. You know, they play maybe a non-ska song like Our House. Um, But I would also hear things like the beat um sometimes the specials the selector i started kind of like my ears kind of perked up and i went what is this i love this um And I did have like a Madness cassette tape. I think I had a a cup, two of them. But it wasn't until um, I was living in Chicago in about 1994. I was going to grad school. And my brother, my little brother, Charlie, he took me to my first ska show because the the toasters um, were coming through and playing in Chicago. And I went to this show. Now, you have to understand this is 19, you know, 1994. This is like after a load of grunge kind of dominated the music scene. And I do like grunge. I'm not gonna, you know, I do love my Nirvana like anybody else, but, or like many. Um, but I, when I heard the toasters and I saw everybody dancing and going bonkers and having a good time, I went, what the heck is this? And it was exactly what my little spirit needed after that many years of of grunge. And, um, and, and it was... That was it. That was it. And everybody who is really into ska has one of those moments. They have that story of when they went, Whoa, that's it. I'm I'm hooked for life or scott for life, as we like to say. So um that's uh at the same time I was in grad school at DePaul University, I was getting my master's in writing, and we had a class where you have to write a feature story or something like that, and I went well, I'm going to write mine about, you know, the history of ska. And in 1994, the internet was kind of still in its infancy. So there really wasn't anything there. Um, There wasn't anything written on ska in libraries, that's for sure. Maybe a few pages in a book on reggae. And so I kind of went, all right, I've got my work cut out for me. I'm going to start interviewing people and and putting this all together and And that's what I did. And so from that point, I started interviewing people. And so this book is my eighth book. um, And I've been kind of writing ever, ever since those days. It's, I always like to say that I don't, I mean, I took piano lessons for 10 years. So it kind of informs me musically. I don't play, sorry, mom. Um, I don't play, but, um, but my instrument is my pen. And so this is my way that I can appreciate and geek out on the music is by preserving the history and writing about it and informing people. So before we sort of get
2: into some of these um, women you look at and the bands you look at, could you talk a little bit, Um, I, I, like you said, like, I mean, there's a whole history of ska. And like you said, you write about both reggae and ska and they are connected. But just give a little overview for people as to what ska is. I know... When yeah. I got when I was great when I got this, it came with a little CD of music, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But can you give us so just a little bit so that you mentioned some of those bands so that people who are listening who might not know know what we're talking sure. about?
1: Yeah, sure. So ska. Um, I think the biggest shocker for people who haven't heard of ska or maybe heard of it but don't know much about it, is that without ska there would be no reggae, that reggae came from ska and reggae came after ska. So ska started in Jamaica um in about 1959 to about 1964. Um, and it was the result of a lot of different, you know, cultural, you know, cultural, political, social things. But Uh, these were the musicians were trained jazz musicians. That's why we have horns. So Scott has horns. Some Scott doesn't have, they, you know, doesn't have any horn section, or maybe they'll have one trumpet, maybe nothing at all. Um, and the reason, well, I'll get into that in a minute, but, but my favorite Scott has horns. It has a lot of horns. Um, and that's because it comes from this jazz tradition. So Jamaican, Musicians were playing jazz standards for the tourists who wanted to hear, you know, the the standards of the day. That was throughout the 1950s and 40s. So big bands, but then there was indigenous music, mento, um, and I think that some of the rhythmic elements of ska come from mento um, a bit. And also, um, it came from American rhythm and blues. So, Jamaican musicians throughout the 50s were picking up on their transistor radios, um, radio stations from uh, Nashville and New Orleans and Miami, and they loved it. They loved, you know, Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions and Roscoe Gordon and some of these early, um, like, shuffle blues kind of musicians and um, some, you know, swing blues, jump blues, um, whatever you want to call it. So these things kind of crept into the music. And then we have 1959, they're trying to kind of emulate American rhythm and blues. And so you can kind of hear some of the proto-ska of this era. It kind of sounds like they're trying it, but they're not really getting that rhythm right. I think that might be because of the mento kind of hangover, uh, the mento that was part of their music heritage. But then it slowly becomes something completely different. The beat is on the offbeat, or some say the upbeat, or some say the downbeat, but whatever it is, it's the opposite of rock and roll. So it's that. Mm, 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 mm. You know, it has this, syn- it, it, some might say syncopated, it's not like a true syncopation, but, but it, it is this offbeat. And that becomes um, what carries through with Ska across the generations then. Um, whether or not there are horns, um, that is the common element in Ska. Does it mean anything with that beat, of Scott? No, it doesn't. But it it um, is kind of the commonality. When reggae happens, reggae is is slower because it goes through a period what's what's called rock steady, where the tempo slows down from about 1964 to 68, and the tempo slows down. The horns go out, and then from six. Sorry about my dog, everybody. Um, and then from 68, we have reggae and reggae is um, a different beat too, but it's different than ska, but it is still like that kind of an, an beat as well. <clears throat> so then at the same time that that happens in, in Jamaica, um, there is a period in after World War II where um, the UK opened up um the their doors for citizens to come in um from any of the british um colonies one of which of course is jamaica so a lot of west indian immigrants are coming over to find work and opportunity um yeah, we could talk about that all day long how that didn't really happen but that's called the Windrush generation um these immigrants brought with them their music and their culture um they have um, parties in the, the neighborhoods, Um, they play music, they, they're vinyl in, in these neighborhoods at, you know, at Shabin's, like little, you know, house parties, things like that. Um, DJs began kind of cropping up out of this era. And, uh and the neighborhoods that they live in, or the towns that they live in, like Coventry, or neighborhoods like Brixton, things like that, they are also populated by um, working class, the working class, the white working class. So among these, in these neighborhoods, we have white working class youth who are listening to in the seventies, the mid to late seventies, they're listening to punk. This is the heyday of, of punk when, you know, bands, of course, like the Sex Pistols, everybody knows that, but, um, but the clash, you know, listen to the clash and you will hear the blend of punk And Jamaican music, Um, you'll hear reggae. Um, So this is an example that you might be familiar with of how these two cultures collide. And so another way they collide is ska and punk um, become a, you know, its own genre in about 1979 in the UK. uh, One of the labels that is founded as an imprint of chrysalis is called two-tone, hence the two-tone of my book. So it's named after the label, but it's kind of it's more than that. It becomes emblematic of the ska revival during this time. And it also symbolizes the unity of Black and white races, which is central to this music in the UK. Bands are comprised of both white and Black members because racial um, racism is um uh, is i wouldn't say rife but it's um a problem in um in the uk during this time these are this the winter of discontent in 79 margaret thatcher she's uh many of you know she's she's calling things a swamp and, and, and Enoch Powell is giving racist um, who's a, a politician who's running for office is giving very racist speeches, rivers of blood. And, you know, so it's, there's a lot of um, the British front, the national movement is very um, powerful during not powerful, but they're getting their feet during this time. And so two-tone and Scott beco- becomes a, a political way to combat that And that is something that is rooted in the Jamaican culture as well as that Jamaican music by nature. Even ska, uh, which many times had no lyrics, is very political. You can tell by the names of the songs. So that is also something that became common. Not so much in America in the mid '90s. Uh, Scott came to the came to America before that, like in the '80s. Um, but it became very popular in the '90s. In the '90s, it kind of got a little silly. So you know, I think that's just because um, you know. But I could talk about that culturally and socially as well. But many people who are familiar with Scott in the '90s might be dismissive of it um, but there's so much substantive ska happening during the 90s that unfortunately is those bands that get the attention but that's just like 10% of it the other like you know 90% was substantive political talented horns people um, it was it was really wonderful and it's ska is popular all over the world all over the world so in your book, you look at
2: almost twenty different bands, I think, right? You have a good chunk of bands. Um, so we're we won't talk about every single one, but I want to talk about some of them. But you start with, and I think you mentioned Two Tone, and you start with the Beat Girl. And so, can you talk a little? Let's let's talk a little bit about that because it's it sort of. Um, It starts everything and it's also kind of important for the aesthetic at the time right and the imagery of right so can you talk a little bit about the beat
1: girl right so the beat girl um many of the bands during the scout revival are these are comprised of members who are art school students um, and that was one thing I found that I discovered was how many of these women were like, I was friends with this one. And you know, we were in art school together. It's like, wow, that's super cool. And I know that you've interviewed, um, somebody who actually wrote a book about that, about the art school connection, which is super cool. I'm going to be buying that one. Um, but anyway, uh, Jerry Dammers, who founded the specials and started Two Tone, he was in an art school dropout essentially, but he, um he illustrated a logo for two-tone for the specials. And that logo is, you've probably seen it before, but if you Google it, it's Walt Jabsko. I don't know where the name comes from. I think I read it one time. I don't know. Uh, Walt Jabsko. And it's this iconic little two-tone guy uh, who looks like he's dancing, but it's actually patterned off of Um, uh, Peter Tosh on the cover of the Wailing Wailers album so again that Jamaican connection The Beat another band that was popular during this time they had split they had they were on the two-tone label for like their first uh, record but then they started up a label of their own very DIY ethic that comes straight from punk and they uh, decide that they want to make a logo that's um, they they talk about the reasoning for doing it, but basically it was to give um, like a female counterpart to the Walt Jabsco image, and uh, this becomes known as this illustration as the Root Girl, um, and so um, the Beat Girl, sorry the Beat Girl, and this um, was drawn the the illustration was drawn by a gentleman by the name of Hunt Emerson. He's an illustrator, cartoonist, he's fantastic. And this logo then appears everywhere right alongside Walt Japsco. This illustration of the Beat Girl was based off of a photograph of the actual Beat Girl, um, who was a recording artist um, in 1964, and she released a song, a, a couple of songs, but the, the the one that you can look up is called Blue Beat Baby. And that's how she was billed as the Blue Beat Baby. And the photograph that she was based on is of her with Prince Buster when he lands at uh, Heathrow Airport in 1964, when Prince Buster, the Jamaican vocalist, is promoting... His music. So my good friend and colleague, Joanna Wallace, um, contacted me and said, hey, do you know anything about her? And I said, no, let's go find out. So we began um, digging. I think this was, I don't know if this was last summer or maybe like last, uh, like early 2022. We started just going nuts, trying to find out anything that we could about her. Um, but it was tough because she had a uh, stage name, which is Bridget Bond. Now that's as made up as you know, uh, I, whatever. I don't know. And and so it was Brigitte, spelled like you know Brigitte Bardot, and then Bond because this is you know right like two years after Doctor No is popular and James Bond is a big deal. So we start digging and we find that um, she actually then changed her name at at a period to Brigitte St. John. And what we found, and the story is in there of how this happened, um, but essentially she was to marry uh, a a man, uh, Sir John Waller, and to bear him children. Um, And then when he discovered that she was unable to bear children, he um, called off the engagement and he outed her because she um, she had uh, she she was born a biological boy. And so there's then after that, it's it's I am of the mind that he outed her on purpose and that she had no control over that and so that's around the same time that she changes her name um, she moves then to Spain now you have to understand that this and she's performing in Madrid at clubs she's a singer she's a performer um, but she's at this point um, billed as you know the sex change girl or um, the a, a super vedette and a vedette is a you know a term that um, uh, for a, a trans performer. So this is during the Franco years, post Franco. Um, when it's, e- even though it's post Franco, it's very not post Franco. I mean, I can't imagine the risks that she was taking in order to perform. And I do go into quite a bit of detail of that. Um, but the, I guess that there's a couple of points that I want to make here is that one is that we don't know what happened to her. Um, Joanna and I have doggedly been trying to find her, but without a birth name, we've not been able to. And at in about 1975, we're not able to find any more information on her. Um, that could be for a number of reasons. It could be that she was um, put into one of Franco's correction camps. Um, it could be that that she was killed because she was not, um, shy. She was very brazen and very brave, um, and gorgeous. I might add, um, it could be because we found too that she got married. Um, so she could have just gone and lived a quiet life with her husband. She, um, cause I, I think that they did have a home in Italy. She could have, you know, stopped performing. She could have continued performing under a different name. We don't know. We do know that she was in um, the military at some point in, in the UK, we believe. Um, but we don't even know for sure where she was born because she gives a couple of different um places: Malta, um, Marseille, um, France. So we we're not really sure. So if anybody knows. <laughs> Where Bridget Bond is, please find us and let us know. We want to find her because she's she's you know a champion. This is the other point I want to make is that she is so um, I think important to the meaning of two tone in ways that we could not have known or planned because she is the perfect symbol for unity. And brotherhood and sisterhood and acceptance and and love. And that's what Ska stands for, especially during this era. So when I told um, Dave Wakeling from The Beat about this, and he does, I do have him interviewed in here. And I did interview Ranking Roger before he died too, where he talks a little bit about this. We didn't know this about her yet, but when I talked to Dave Wakeling, he was just over the moon happy about it. He was so ecstatic that um that they had Im- Im- embraced um unity without even knowing it so it's a pretty cool story.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: And I said, so, well say so before we get into any of these um to other ones, because I think this sort of adds to it, you have these, there's images throughout this, and often when you see books published. Um, it, you you see these sort of stock photos, but you have um, you know some traditional photos that we might see, but a lot of candid photos. I mean, and there's many of her in in the, you know, but throughout the book. So I just want to, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your choice of photos um, and some of these, you know, like throughout and some of these more candid shots of and people kind of together, right? Some of these, you know, you have photos sometimes of women, some of these performers hanging out together or, you know, backstage or, you know, not as posed. So, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the images you chose or why you chose some of them, but they're, yes, you know, throughout, you have great images. I, I love looking at all the images and I love seeing that juxtaposition of some that are more posed and yes, than others. Thank
1: you. <laughs> yeah. So it was, this was obviously one of the really fun parts because um, many of the photos I've seen of Scott in this era, I've seen a million times. Um, And so to see women like, you know, for example, like Fun Boy 3, um, that was a band that came right after um, the specials where three of the members broke away um, and formed their own their own band. Um, I had seen a lot of pictures of Fun Boy 3 and I've seen Terry Hall's hair and it's super awesome But I didn't realize that there were actually six women who played all the instruments in Fun Boy 3. So they should be called Fun Girls 6. But anyway, um, when I found a photo of them and it is um, probably a press photo, um, but where the the Fun Boys 3 are in the middle and then circling them all around are the women. I was like, "This, this is the photo, this is complete. This is an example of how the women have been erased from the story. And so I thought, you know, photo in this case does tell a thousand words. Um, the And the women are adorable and important and so talented. I can't even uh, tell you, but especially this particular band, I mean, like Nikki Holland from this band, she was the musical director. So she's the one that kind of put together their sound, um, working with Terry Hall, um, but put together their sound and wrote their music. Um, and and she went on to write for Tears for Fears and Cindy Lauper and T- Tina Turner and Celine Dion. and Movie scores like she's having a baby and, and Great Outdoors for John Hughes. So it's like, I, this photo was really, really important to me. And I wanted to make sure that it takes up the whole page because I thought people could see this. It's very prominent, but you're right. Other photos are candid. And so for those, I anytime I talk to, um, a, a woman, I would ask her, you know, do you have any photos that I can use? Um, because I don't want to use the same ones. Because why bother? You can just Google it. Um, and so uh, Penny Layton, who was a member of the Body Snatchers and um, Bell Stars um, and also uh, the Delta ones at one point, she, um, and by the way, an amazing woman who went on to animate for DreamWorks, I mean, and, and, and worked on Shrek and Madagascar. I mean, come on. But she had kept a diary, a written diary during this time and had kept all of her photographs and kind of like these, these artifacts um, of like backstage passes and things like that. And they'd never seen the light of day. And I'm like, I need that. So she's sending me Polaroids of the body snatchers when they are touring with the Go-Go's. So we've got and this is before the Go-Go's were like the Go-Go's that we know that were just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This was when they had a couple different members at that point who uh were kicked out and if you've seen the 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 documentary you kind of know that story but um and uh it, I thought these and they're on tour with the Specials too. So it's the Body Snatchers, the Specials and the Go-Go's together. And they're photos of, I mean, they're goofing around having fun because these, they were kids. And there were 40 of them on a bus um, going to 40 different dates to gig together. The Go-Go's were part part of that tour. Um, And they had a blast. And so it's like, they're goofy. They're, they're smiling, they're drinking, they're backstage, just like funning around and making faces. And to me, that's so much better than like a a stage photo of like, here they are on top of the pops or whatever. Um, So it was really, really fortunate that the women were generous, very, very generous. And I think it's because Uh, you know, few people had asked them about their stories. And if they did, it was during that time and they were male journalists who had a very different reason for asking the questions they did. They were asking, you know, questions about like, you know, how, you know, about their outfits or how long have you guys, you know, how come you don't know your instrument that well, or, you know, things like that. So it was different now that somebody was still interested in them and um and and i assured them that everybody is interested in them they just don't you know they hadn't had a voice or space before so you know i'm so grateful to these women and for them opening up i had um one of the women who um she actually ran the beats fan club Um, And she went up in her attic and found some of her um, old zines that she put together. That's the very last page of the book. Um, But she went up into her attic and found these things. And I was just like, oh, my God, like these are things that I drool over. Um, But uh, they without them, um, they'd be still up in their attic, you know. No, and I li- that
2: was just, it was one of those things that made me so happy to see these because like you're, and everything you said often when women are written, when we write about women in music, um, they're a chapter, right? Or it's a side right, yeah. thing, or it's men talking yeah. about the women. And so women tell a different story because women experience yeah. the world, you know, differently. So I really yes. love seeing all these like sort of candid photos. I, I was like... I think you and I are probably around the same age. So I was kind of, you know, like, oh, I'm right back where I was. Exactly. (laughs) And yep. it was really great to see. And then I was thinking like, that means someone was probably carrying around, not a fancy camera, a tiny little, you know, they like yep. threw in their little camera yep. and were taking photos and then couldn't wait to get off a tour to develop these and see what we have. So yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. all of it. I was like, these are great. Exactly. exactly. Yep. Yep. They definitely were in somebody's shoebox for a very long time. <laughs> So
2: one of the things you do is for every band you talk about, you kind of list um, the multiple women that were in that band and then kind of talk about them. And so, I mean, I do. There, there are a couple. There's one woman I want. I think is important to talk about is Pauline Black. Mm-hmm. Um, so, could you talk a little bit about um, Pauline Black for people who might not know who she is? Um, because she did receive um, what is it the award the in England, yeah. the UK, yeah. war, right? She's yeah. sort of really important to um, history and the spaces. So, can you talk a little bit about her?
1: Yeah, definitely. So Pauline Black is the uh the front of of the Selector. So if you've ever heard of the Selector, um, Three Minute Hero on my radio, um, they had a number of, of hits um on the two-tone label, and then they they kind of branched off and did their own thing. In fact, they were one of the founders of the two-tone label with with the specials. But Pauline Black, um is the vocalist um and i say front because she's more of a vo- more than a vocalist um she and uh the other vocalist they they she's the prominent lead vocalist but Arthur um Hendrickson who's also known as Gaps um he he sings as well and the two of them just bounce all over the stage. Um, And I found out that the reason why they do that at first is because they wrote their lyrics down on sheets and they were like looking at them as they were singing and so just bouncing so that they didn't look like they were reading. But anyway, um, very, very high energy. And she had, uh, fashion and style are a very big part of this music. Um, And I go into that quite a bit and largely due to uh a lot of it's due to the women um but she had um a look that was you have to understand in like 1979 um was we would probably call it like androgynous um she's wearing pants you know she's not wearing a big like diana ross gown um and she's um wearing a hat um and so at first um the very first journalist that ever wrote about her thought that she was a boy um and so i just think that's so fantastic because it just shows that um that women don't have to dress according to the standards of the culture and can uh, you know uh, wear what they want to wear um so that was kind of a big deal at this time um but she um what i discovered in writing this chapter was i just thought okay she's the woman in this band she's the one woman in this band yeah she is but um and she has an amazing story by the way and i would like to um she has a biography that she wrote on serpent's tale the publisher um called black by design and it is a fantastic read many biographies are not hers is amazing and her story is amazing. But there was another woman that was involved in this band, and that's Juliette De Valera Wills, um, which they also called her Juliette DeVee. But she had, she was their manager for a period of time. She was the road manager on for the first uh, tour, two-tone tour. So, like, multiple bands. She's organizing all of their stops. She's organizing their food. She's organ- getting them all woken up in the morning. She's she's an absolute dynamo she's married today um, to billy bragg and they've been married for a very long time but she i think is astounding and um i even read in another book about that she she said that she had issued the selector because they were fighting all the time as bands are wont to do especially when there's so many members Uh, many ska bands have seven members or on on upward. Um, She made them a, like a 10 commandments of like rules that they should obey. And it was done very tongue in cheek because Prince Buster had made a very famous popular song called the 10 commandments of, of man to woman. And it's people debate whether or not it's, it's uh true or tongue-in-cheek or a little of both. But uh, if you want to piss yourself off, go read the lyrics to that song. Anyway, she made the alternative Ten Commandments. And I had read about this, that she had said that. And I, when I was talking to her, I said, do you have a copy of that? And she's like, yeah, I can dig that out somewhere. It's around here somewhere. And so I put it right in the book, like the a scan of the actual one that that she put in there. And these are just kind of her way, her 10 ways of making everybody try to get along and it didn't work. And she was, she was this soon sacked Um, and the whole band kind of fell apart, but Pauline Black has had an amazing career. She still is with the selector. They just released a new album called human algebra, and I can't wait to get mine. I've had it on pre-order for quite a while. Um, and they appeared in the classic two-tone film, which is called dance craze. It's actually live concert that was filmed um and you should check that out but that really helped launch the career of many of these bands Uh, but pauline black is an entertainer um, and she has uh anchored a number of uh, television shows on the bbc she's had a very extensive theater career acting um on stage um in a number of, of big roles and she was like you said recently awarded the order of the british empire the obe and was uh and it was given to her in a ceremony by king charles uh, this was before he was um you know coronation what is like the verb form of coronation I mean, Yes, he was coronated <laughs> it, would that it be-, be coronated <laughs> yeah, or something like that we can yeah, make up words after, after he became so yeah, she's really a, uh, is somebody that that is just a genuinely nice person too, but she's somebody that we all look up to.
2: So you have like, so some of these stories are people who kind of disappeared, some people who um, were playing music and not anymore. Um, and we could, uh, there's many, many um, women in here and bands that you talk about, but are there any in particular that you want to kind of highlight or share some stories that you um, you were really drawn to or, or you really want to yeah. share right now
1: yeah sure i mean like there are a number of women that are completely amazing that you've probably heard of you know like the the violinist from um, dexie's midnight runners and the dex and dexie's midnight runners were you know they did play scum they were on the two-tone tour um but you know so cool things like that that are and the go-go's and you know banana rama um they were um involved with fun boy three so there are a number of women in here that you probably know, but you didn't know. You knew, like Chrissy Hine, like she sings on nightclub in 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 uh, one of this this uh, special songs and things like that. Um, Cindy Lauper, another one. But there are the women that you haven't heard of, probably that I think deserve our uh, attention. Um, and one of them that I want to talk about is her name is Tammy Dixon. She was in a band for kind of a short time, but they were called the Lemons and they're pretty good. I have to say they're pretty good. They were on the two-tone, I think they were on the two-tone label. Um, And that's another thing too, is two-tone means more than just the label. So it's things that are adjacent to the label as well, or, you know, were ska at this time. Um, But she, Tammy Dixon uh, was a trumpeter which many women were vocalists at this time so there's there's that whole um perspective too is that i had to look at why weren't there a lot of instrumentalists well because they weren't supposed to be playing a trumpet because that's not very ladylike um and 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 same thing with like a a bass a bass guitar or drums you know there are very few women um that that did this and so Tammy, she um, she was known as Tammy Jacobs at the time. Her name's changed, which also made digging very and researching very challenging. And I won't get into my feminist rant on that. But um, she did vocals and played the trumpet and they were a five, I'm sorry, six piece band. And they uh, played quite a bit um, because she worked at, a uh, a place a bar that um that booked a number of gigs so they were able to get gigs and things like that what's really neat about her though is before she was in this band she was talking to me and she's like oh yeah and I was I went to acting school and so I was really like a theater kid and we were all kind of nerdy and stuff like that and then I I, she kind of stumbled into this film she says and she's like, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Quadrophenia. And I'm like, what? Yes, I've heard of Quadrophenia. Are you kidding me? And so Quadrophenia, if you're unfamiliar with it, has Sting in it as one of the lead roles, it has Sting from the police. Um, but it is like a classic among these the subcultures of, of like Scott kids. And Um, and mods it was it's a mod film so that whole subculture in the UK Um, and she had a role in it and so I'm like well what was your role and she was spider who's one of the like main actors in it she was spider's girlfriend um, and she really was in real life and that's how they kind of like fell into it Um, and so I started like looking around and lo and behold on eBay I found like a photo of her from like a movie still, from a publicity photo actually, where she is riding on the back of, it's so funny. She was like, what do we call, what do you call those horrible little things? Those horrible things. I'm like, scooters? She's like, yes, scooters. <laughs> I was just dying. And it's its a picture of her in the film, in the reflection of a um, one of the side mirrors of the scooter. And I just thought, that is so neat. Um, but she went on to have an extensive career where she was actually like in lightonism of Rob on the in the West End of London and um a, a number of of very famous plays. But she also she wasn't just like a stage actor. she also did um I forget what she called it, but she told me about this technique where they have like actual, Um, singers that sing but they're like in the pit or off stage so that when the person is singing it gives them a fuller sound and so she did that on a number of um of productions too um today she's a fitness trainer at a military base so it's just that's the thing women we do many things we wear many hats and and that's what I mean by like hearing their stories is empowering because I was like all right, I'm not a loser that I switched jobs, because I can, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's really neat. <laughs> no. But yeah, lots of women, I mean, I could go on and on, because each one of these women, there wasn't like one of them where I was like, that's a doll story, what am I going to do with that? There wasn't a single one of them, I mean, they were just, you know, they were all pretty amazing, even some of them that were really hard to find, they were, or maybe, maybe even, you know, I had one that it, for a while, she didn't want to be found. You know, but when I did find her, she was like, okay, you know, I'll and, and I finally was able to get her to tell her story. Um, and it's because, you know, she didn't look at that time in her life that fondly because it was it was so difficult for her as a woman. Um, and you know, there were uh a lot of some, you know, very serious challenges that that women had um in. And so some of them had to leave because, you know, I there's Polly and Molly Jackson. They sang back up um with uh with the special aka and they um sang on some very popular songs like Free Nelson Mandela, but they left because they uh were tired of being propositioned or um or pressured. And they just said, we're not, that's not who we are. And we're leaving. And then they ended up both becoming lawyers, which is so amazing, too. So um a lot of reinvention, a lot of, you know, anybody that did stay in the music stayed in it definitely because of their love for the music. Um Margot Sag, she is uh, she is a a guitarist with Amazulu band in the in the 80s and you know she told this amazing story but that her her struggle with her band was because there were a number of um, members of the band that were very serious heroin users um, because that was you know this time in the uk as well Um, and that's why she had to leave Um, she did not leave music though she still plays today She's adorable. She plays with like a hot pink wig as the rock candy girls and plays with all different kinds of people in pubs and things like that. But she's an architect, you know? So women did not have the um, luxury of being professional musicians for the rest of their lives. They had to many times find other ways to make a living because they had children. Um, I had one woman tell me about how she literally was leaking milk on stage during a TV show and was horrified. And I thought, I think that's pretty cool. I, you know, I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry that you don't feel that way. You can't get it. You can't understand it through my, my lens in my generation. But I think that's pretty cool because that shows that you can do it all, you know, just not all at the same time, but, um, but that she was a woman. That's part of being a woman um but many women had to leave in order to earn a living and to find another way to feed feed their children because many of them became single moms um but yeah so sorry i'm just i kind of go off on another woman another woman but that's how this is it's like you know uh it's an endless um it, it, there are narrative after narrative of of endlessly um empowering stories
2: so what do you think, right? You have all these stories, you put them together, you have all these empowering stories, you know, and it's during this specific time frame and time period, you know, in time, like, what are you hoping that this, um, right, besides getting these stories down, right, and having them down and having them here, um, what is it that you really want um, readers and people to sort of from the story you know take from this if if there is one thing you know what I mean if there's one thing I'll ask you the really tough question. yeah what do you want right
1: yeah what's what no no I no. I can answer that easily though that's not that's I get what you're saying because here's what I want I want when people see Gwen Stefani on stage or they see an Amy interrupter from the the interrupters on stage I want them to know that they are standing on the shoulders of giants I don't even know if they know that. Like, I, I, I am, I am confident that Gwen Stefani doesn't know any of these stories beyond maybe Pauline Black and Rhoda Dakar from from the Body Snatchers, because those are the two that most people are familiar with. I can, so she doesn't even know. That's not an issue. I don't have a problem with that because that's kind of that's that's evolution. That's how that's how it's supposed to work. Um, But I still I think that we need to know these stories so that when you do hear um, an Amy interrupter or something like that, um, and I I love them, um, that you can appreciate them even more because now you see that a space has been made for her, that she can exist, that, you know, and that I see a lot of ska, uh, I go to a lot of ska shows and I see a lot of ska musicians who are female. Um, in fact, uh, the, the woman who wrote the forward for, for my book, Dunia Best, she performs in a number of bands, is extremely talented, uh, but plays with a, uh, a band now that's called Rude Girl Review. And it's comprised of all women that come from all different bands and they all have their own bands. Um, And so they, and they know, they know that they stand on the shoulders of these giants. Um, But when, but that space had not been made available before like that. Um, Because if it had, like the body snatchers, sure, they were an all, all female lineup and they played their instruments. But what they had to go through, no one will have to go through again because of them. Nobody will ever have to be accused of not knowing how to play their instruments they will not be called delicious by a male journalist again because they were the pioneers and they they made this trail. So that's what I want people to know is that what we enjoy today what we take for granted today as cliche as that might sound um this is why this is the story that that is underneath all of that that lifts all that up and makes that possible
2: so we've been talking for a while and we could probably talk for a good long while (laughs) (laughs) because like these stories are so great and i you know yes and it's and like what you're talking about that idea like I went through all of this so that you didn't have to go through that. Right. And these are the women who did that. Right. And sometimes we often don't think about that or we're like, oh, I can do that. That's easy. And you've got to think about all the people who made it so that was easy for you and then make that easy for the next people. Right. And don't forget exactly. about those people. Right. Like, yep. Yep. And then the world will be better and we'll all get along. Right. Exactly. No. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, if you're here in this room somebody did something to get you here if you exactly <laughs> especially if you're a woman right yep, yep, um, yep. right you wouldn't be sitting here if it weren't for people before you so what who are those folks so what is it like is there anything um you're doing with this book or anything new you're working on so that fi- my final question you know anything you want to sort of promote or get out there and yeah what's going sure.
1: on Well, I am taking a break from writing for a little bit because I'm hoping to soon start working on my PhD. So that's like in the works, but that'll maybe be my next thing. But I, so I'm not, and believe me, I put everything into this book. This book took three years and I spent two and a half of those researching doggedly. Um and you know getting everything that had ever been written about these women and stuff. Um so I'm exhausted. So I'm going to <laughs> I I really did put all of my energy into this book. It's a big big book. Um and so but here's what I'm leaving or here's what I want to happen. Um all of these interviews that I did and all of the interviews that I've done so like hundreds of them um with Everybody from, you know, Prince Buster, you know, Derek Morgan, all the Scatolites, like all, every interview since 1994, I've made available to future researchers and writers um, at the Archives of African American Music and Culture, which is housed at Indiana University. So, and those are available to any researcher, anybody, anybody to use for free. All you have to do is, contact them, everything's been digitized. And so, and photo, like over 500 photographs, ephemera, um, books, um, you know, like rare um, records, things like that. So that there is that, you know, that's preserved, that history is preserved. It's not like, you know, I never think of any of this as like, this is mine and I'm gonna keep it and hoard it forever. It's not, it's not mine. These are not my stories, I'm just a conduit. So I put those stories, uh digitized and anybody can there's like a finding aid that they made you know a, co- a collection the Heather augustine collection which sounds so weird but um but there's a finding aid where you can look them up and see who's you know what interviews are in there and so these like over 50 women um are now going to be part of that collection for future generations to use that is awesome thank you so th- thank you so much heather for talking to me
2: um heather augustine is the author of rude girls women in two-tone and one step beyond thanks for talking with me for a new books network
1: thank you so much for letting me geek out i, I had a lot of fun